0: Good evening, good afternoon, and welcome to the first premiere, inaugural episode of the Retromania podcast. I'm your host, Missy Allison, and joining me are my co-hosts, Guy Gardino, Jim Loki, David Siemens, and last, but by no means least, Wycliffe Shreve. Welcome, fellas. Glad to be doing this with all of you. Um, gathered some of the funniest people I know in one place is exciting for me, and I hope this is entertaining for those of you listening. Let's talk about why we're doing here. Why did I put together this think tank, these uh, titans of pop culture? Um, In order to describe the intention of the podcast, I'm gonna have to take you back to the year 2020, the year the earth stood still. I had a lot of time at home and I decided to give my kids a little bit of a retro film education, showing them films that I loved when I was a kid. And in doing that, a lot of times I was a little bit horrified by the contents. Not that I'm, you know, very puritanical or worried about, you know, that sort of thing. Just culturally, how far things had moved, how far things had changed. And what was interesting to me um, is to look at these movies through a lens now that I know better and I know what the problem was. But I still had these sentimental attachments to these movies. Kind of like... being in an abusive relationship or having Stockholm syndrome. And I found myself making excuses for these movie shortcoming. Um, and it was not hard to convince myself that the total was greater than the sum of its parts. I still loved some of these movies, but they were problematic. So um, then I came across this phase phrase, excuse me, in the New York Times one Sunday uh, retro media, and it was a term that was coined to explain the phenomenon of people revisiting and re-watching old media en masse at the height of the lockdown. They posted that the reason for this was that we were in the middle of crisis and seeking comfort and familiarity, and that was certainly what I was trying to do, showing these old movies to my kids. Um, these films were like family to me, but unfortunately, they were starting to feel like the kind of family you want to avoid at Thanksgiving dinner. I became fascinated with the concept that you could love and revere and hold space for something That never really served us. Um, uh, Antiquated politics, cultural values aside, a lot of these movies just served as a really shitty blueprint for how to go about life. It also struck me how irresponsible so much of this media was geared towards the youth of America at that time. So I decided to get together some of the funniest people I know to unpack this collective generational trauma. Gen X or Xennials, geriatric millennials, but if you call me that, I'll cut you. Um, and do that in podcast form just to get together. And um, that's the podcast you've stumbled into, Retromania. This is a safe space. Let's get into it. So the first episode, we're going to be covering an absolute classic, the John Hughes movie, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Let's get into it. Okay. Ferris Bueller's Day Off tells the story of a high school student, Ferris. Was an uncanny skill for skipping school and getting away with it. Intended on having one last duck out before graduation, Ferris plays sick, borrows a Ferrari, and embarks on a one-day journey through the city of Chicago with his best friend, Cameron, and his girlfriend, Sloan. For a day in Chicago, hot on Ferris's tail is his high school principal, Mr. Rooney, who is determined to catch him in the act. Throughout the movie, Ferris regularly breaks the fourth wall to explain his technique, in innermost thoughts is a cartoonish fantasy about what teens wish they could get away with. Ferris represents individualism and rebellion against societal norms, and while on the surface it appears to be a fun romp, it also acknowledges the pain and loss of the ending of childhood. Hey okay, guys, any thoughts on Ferris?
1: Oh yeah.
2: Skipping <laughs> <laughs> ahead there, Jim. <laughs>
1: You know what the first thing that came up to me uh thinking about how you said it didn't necessarily serve us um was that it was it was a choice to like make the only two minorities in the movie the guys that worked in the right. car park, guys that were
0: stealing the car oh, yeah. There is the nurse but she but yeah basically it's it's a unique choice i will i will say compared to some of the other movies it's, it's slightly more progressive than some of the other movies we're probably going to tackle in this. But yeah, it still has its flaws. Uh, there were a couple of times where uh, they have to say to Ferris, uh, what country do you think this is? When he asks if people speak English, there's some cringy moments like that. Um, film is widely considered to be a beloved classic with a 7.8 score on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes has it coming in at 82% on the tomato meteor with an incredible 92% audience score. Most impressively about the film, though, is in 2014 it was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Cong- Congress, being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. And I say, I call bullshit. That, but <laughs> into it. Oh, I think that's...
2: <clears throat> I don't know. I think that's true. And, like, like to that note, this is like not necess- this is a little bit more tangentially related to like what you just said. But speaking to it from looking at it as, you know, a Gen X or a Xennial, um, you know, uh an older millennial, I'll say, but someone who is very just much a, part of really like, you know, growing up during the 80s. Uh the fact that, you know, like for me, one of the things that really spoke out in the movie was um, Cameron is left fully alone, ill, in his house by his parents. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: I'm like, that's sort of like a very distinct, I would say, Gen X experience, where it's like, you know, the latchkey situation where it's kind of like, you were just sort of like, you know, expected to take care of yourself and raise yourself to a certain degree. And that's why, you know, in many ways so much of like, you know, the battle between like generations, between like the boomers, millennials, and like, you know, Gen Y or Z, etc. Like or or Gen Z them looking at each other and being like, This is your problem. We're all looking to the left and the right and saying, uh, y'all don't have problems. We have right. problems.
0: Right. right. Yeah. My kids like might
1: that, look at that as that movie. The whole my kids might look at the whole movie as nuts, right? Yeah. Insane. But we actually related to it.
4: Yeah. I mean, that's like also like that girl dinner thing that started on TikTok a few months back, like the whole girl dinner, like. No, that was latchkey dinner. Like, if you were a latchkey kid, you knew what it was like to come home and not have anything to eat and, like, take some Cheez-Its and put some, like, meat paste on it. And, oh, I guess this is what I'm having today because mom and dad aren't home. Like, like, things that people are now doing and, like, thinking that it's some kind of new phenomenon. No, we were there. We were in the weeds with that shit. That was something we were doing a long time ago
0: let's let's talk a little bit about the weeds guys okay (laughs) let's talk about what was going on in the world when ferris bueller's day off was released okay ferris bueller's day off was released on june 11th 1986 released in theaters just six months after pretty in pink which is kind of insane when you think about it that is nuts yeah Yeah, yeah um So John Hughes had pitched the premise to Paramount executives in 1985. It's the premise of kid cut school for the day and what adventures he has. And Paramount was like, we love it, but you're not, you're not going to get it done on time because the writers are going on strike. And he's like, bet. And he wrote it. Some stories say he claimed wrote it in 48 hours, writing the first 50 pages one night and then writing the rest the next day. Some stories say a week, regardless, it's crazy. Um, so what was going on June 11th, 1986? The number one song in the country was On My Own, a duet with Patti LaBelle and Michael McDonald dominating God. the charts. That was number one? That was the number one song in the country. Jesus. Number one movie <laughs> in the country was Labyrinth. Oh, there you okay, go. So, June 4th,
3: nineteen
0: eighty. Six, just one week before the release, former American intelligence analyst Jonathan Pollard pleas guilty to espionage for selling top-secret military intelligence to Israel. Okay. Then, just four short days later, former United, ne- United Nations Secretary General Kurt Waldheim, who was elected <sighs> president of Austria, Despite it being revealed that Waldheim had participated in Nazi atrocities during World War II, including but not limited to serving as an intelligence officer in the German Army E-Group, where it committed mass murder in Kozara, region of West Bosnia. So, internationally hidden on all fronts. Two days before the release of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, the Rogers Commission released its findings regarding the Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. So another incident that really traumatized Gen X when they wheeled those TVs into our classroom. June 10, 1.5 million crazed Boston Celtics fans took that Tuesday off of work to gather in front of City Hall for Celtics Pride Day, where they welcomed their team home after dominating the Houston Rockets in Game 6 of the NBA Finals, winning the franchise's... 16th championship in 30 years.
3: Oh, Uh, Christ.
0: Yeah. This was a big uh, week globally. Three New York City hospitals were found of systemic and widespread medical and health code violations, according to New York State health inspectors. At a Harlem hospital, they found instances where unlicensed and unqualified doctors had performed surgery while dentists provided anesthesia. Uh, my theory is that's where the nurse who came to improve Ferris's pluck was previously hired at that Harlem ah, hospital. Ah, ah, ah. <laughs> oh my
2: we'll God. Dis- we'll, dis- we'll discuss her later.
0: Okay, so June 11th, 1986, Ferris Bueller's Day Off was released. On June 11th, 1986, Shia LaBeouf was born. The same day Ferris Bueller's Day Off is released. And if there was ever a celebrity who embodies the just do it mindset of Ferris Bueller, it's our boy Shia. So I don't think it's a coincidence that that's the day he made his entrance into this world.
4: Actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf.
0: There we go. So that's that. That's that week in history. That's what was going on.
3: Were there were there any two headed calves or anything born that day? Or
0: uh, that no, there was some pretty dark stuff happening in South Africa where uh, they uh, declared a nationwide state of emergency in hopes of preventing anti-apartheid protesters from the 10th anniversary from protesting the 10th anniversary of the Soweto uprising. And the white national government, in hoping to squash any remembrance ceremonies of those killed, enacted a form of martial law, which the government could arrest without cause, search and seize without warrant. And that also blocked uh, foreign media from coming into South Africa. So, you know, basically, we were in the thick of it. And here comes Ferris, man. The fuck Next explains why we I kind
2: of mean, enjoyed should... these
0: movies. <laughs> What's that?
2: It explains why we kind of enjoyed these movies. Apparently, yes. <laughs> it's like if this is what's happening around us, right?
4: Then it's like, oh, this
2: is mild.
4: We need the uh, the the childlike f- smile of Matthew Broderick to lead us through the nightmare of yes, the 1980s to lead us Through the darkness,
0: Matthew. Okay. Wasn't
3: wasn't the nineteen eighties where he ran a guy over in Scotland? Yes. And killed him. Oh was yeah. that, oh, that wasn't well,
4: long after that. Yeah, we'll get to that later too. So I mean,
3: he—he, he, you know, it's also just very dark at the time.
0: Yeah.
4: Ferris and Jeannie bad. Bueller running into somebody in Scotland.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have a theory. I have a theory, but we'll 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 get to that when we uh do the so, recap. Sell more.
3: Sell so more VHS tapes of it.
0: I think that. Yeah. I. Um, this is just a theory that's out there, but that the accident may have been caused because he was not inebriated and he claims he has no memory of what happened and there were perfect weather conditions. I think Ferris was getting a little roadhead and that distracted oh. him.
4: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was learning how to drive stick.
3: Yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, that happened. Yeah,
3: wait, who who was he in the car
4: with?
0: Jennifer Grey. Oh wow! Sister. Yeah. Wow. Hungry nice. <laughs> nice.
4: There's, 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 I mean, like
2: so much of that is disturbing. Like, I mean, obviously because, like, you know. We're talking about an actual tragedy, but also because Jennifer Grey and Matthew Broderick played brother and sister. Yes, in the movie, and so it. to have that, like you know, and they had like you know a very open public relationship outside of that, and they weren't real brother and sister, but there's there's still something that like you know I think like sticks in your craw about the fact that yeah, they're yeah. like you know, yeah, but like this is how I think of them in terms of their relationship.
3: Yeah, it's it's still weird. I, yeah, I, I get
0: agree. That.
4: It's so weird. Yeah, in the movie, when she says, screw him, that's not what she's supposed to mean.
0: Well, <laughs> in doing research for this podcast, I heard that she had serious beef during production with Mia Sara. Because Mia Sara, Matthew Broderick, and Jennifer Grey were trying to keep it professional. And Mia Sara had a little bit of a crush on Matthew Broderick. And when she found out, she was not happy about it.
2: Well also Mia Sarah was like twelve basically at that right. point. Right. Like, was, this is yeah, was just,
3: she was really young in that. Yeah, movie. Nobody 18, like, yeah, like yeah, like
2: when she was in Legend, when she was in this, like nobody actually like yeah. I, I was doing I was mathing some of the math. And yeah, she was like, you know, technically, you know, 18 at the time that like, you know, the movie was released, but that means that she was probably like 16, 17 when filming was happening. So yeah. not that there's a huge leap in maturity between like you know those times but very like you know very young and in a lot of ways i think in an inappropriate sense especially considering that she portrayed characters that were distinctly mature and she looked distinctly mature so it's like you know like what's the okay level that we're ready to deal with on that front
3: how old was matthew broderick when they shot that
2: I think uh-huh. like 24, or 25. Maybe. Yeah,
0: okay. I think All so. Right. And and Alan Ruck was twenty nine. Yeah,
3: yeah well, I, I I believe that. I mean, he looked yeah. like a middle aged man in that movie. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh yeah.
4: And see, I think that's where Aaron Spelling got the idea to cast adults as high schoolers. Is he's like, oh well, Alan Ruck can do it. Surely this lady can play Andrea. She's like yeah, ninety six. And, and Michael J. 12. Fox.
0: Michael J. Fox was a lot older than he was playing, and the one that was. Creepy, older than he was playing was Ralph Macchio. He was like thirty and playing like a, a fifteen-year-old kid.
4: Are you serious? Oh, he was thirty when wow. he was doing the Karate he was
0: Kid. Pretty old, yeah. He was pretty old.
4: Yeah. I mean, he still looks really young now. Like I like seeing like the shots of him on Cobra Kai. Like I know yeah. he's supposed to be in his fifties, but I would think he was in his mid to late thirties. Just looking at him, he looks yeah, great.
0: He's got that no. good Sicilian DNA. He's not. I didn't get that good Sicilian DNA, but he's not aging.
2: Well, we need to figure out what moisturizer he's
4: using.
0: Probably just straight up olive oil.
3: It, it's probably just Hollywood. <laughs> I have access, and you don't moisturize it. it. Uh-huh. He, he's using the
4: Sunday <laughs> gravy.
0: You know, I had a I had a friend who worked at an Office Max on Long Island, where Ralph Macchio used to come in to make copies of scripts. Um, and he said that he was still driving, like, a brown 1986 BMW. It was, like, the tail end of the Karate Kid money in, like, 2000. Like, he was just rotting that into the ground. So I'm glad his career has had a bit of a resurgence with Cobra Kai.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, you, you know, if you don't need a new car, you don't get a new car. That's how
0: you hang on to the money. Right, right. That's how you, you, that's know, how you hang on to the that's how you can hold out and make the choices and wait for the Karate Kid reboot.
4: You got to make that six cents in residuals every month last, man.
0: Yeah. 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 Okay. So I know we all rewatch it this week, but does anyone have any memories of this movie from when you were a kid growing up, what you thought about it, what your thoughts were about the movie before this rewatch?
2: Okay, so I mean, I'll I'll just bust in and say this in like, you know, I mean, Missy, we talked about this earlier, but uh, I just remember how epic I thought um, Edie McClurg, who plays Grace's secretary, oh, and right. Jennifer Grey were in this where it's like, you know, these are the people that I actually kind of want to be. And, you know, one of my favorite lines, and we can... You know debate whether or not it's fully appropriate was when she goes the sportos the motorheads geeks sluts bloods wasteoids dweebs yeah. Yeah. uh dickheads they all adore him they think he's a righteous dude i'm like
0: a righteous dude i love and her it's
2: like yeah I no, still
0: the that, that. oh he's yeah, very it's, popular ed
2: yeah it's just like first of all just her voice and the accent Yes, just endears you. Oh, to her automatically. you sounded like dirty Minnesota hairy
3: mom accent.
2: <laughs> you just sounded like dirty Harry right there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but like, just so that just endears you. But then also, I think that what was fantastic about her role in that, even though it's like essentially ninety seconds in the movie, the fact that it's a she super memorable, show. just like you know, yes. makes it significant. And then B, the fact that she essentially she just said. What was on her brain and held this, like, you know, man in power accountable. I'm like, there's something really significant in that, where it's like she had no qualms about saying, You're like, what he does is make you look like an ass. Right. And <laughs> she was like, Yes, there's I so wish. Many. I could... Yeah. And it's like, I wish I could say that to my boss. <laughs> and the fact that this is a, like, you know, essentially a middle-aged woman in the 80s saying that to like like a man that's like in power i was like like that's what i strive to be
0: the, the interplay between grace and Rooney the the physical comedy that they do when she's pretending to be him when she thinks she's on the phone with yeah.
4: uh, oh oh
0: oh 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 oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh it's so good I,
3: I, I always love the line where um where, where Jeannie comes in, where Jennifer Gray comes in, she goes, Oh, hello dear, who's bothering you now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to, yeah, but- to this day, that's something that 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 me and my wife both say to my daughter. <laughs> Just and she's oh, just who, like who's she's like this you?
4: sweet little unassuming Midwest lady, and like, but she gets so much of the comedy gold in her little bit that she's in. She rings every laugh out of it that she can. She's, she's so perfect.
0: The pencils out of the hair, and the <laughs> mystified look at her fa- on her face as each one comes out. It's just genius, and she's
4: funny as hell.
0: You, you know you she does a lot of voiceover work. So you'll hear and you'll be like, oh, and that's that's Grace, that's Edie. Um what I, I and I knew that she was on uh the show Valerie that then became the Hogan family. The Hogan
4: family. family like the I remember Poole. that show, yeah. She was the neighbor, I, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, She was Mrs. Poole. Yeah, Mrs. Poole. What I didn't remember was that she played Bonnie Brindle, also a nosy neighbor on A Small Wonder, which is a show that... Oh,
4: she was on that? With Vicky yes, the Robot? a, a
0: show that Gen Xers are always like, did that really happen, or was that a fever dream? No.
4: Small Wonder and yeah. Out of This World used to come on back-to-back on a yep. little a little UHF uh, TV station shit. when I first moved to Florida. I I watched the, both of those religiously.
3: Uh, up, up here, I mean, they were on uh, Channel 9,
0: right, miss? Channel 9, yeah. UPN. There was with, uh, a my yet. secret it identity was... with uh, Jerry O'Connell. So oh
2: yeah, of, like, I remember that too. Like yeah. so many of those are also like, yeah, like as you said, small wonder. It's kind of like, did that happen? I feel like that's that's one of those like distinct examples of the Mandela effect, where you're like, wait, you know, is it the Bernstein Bears or the Berenstein Bears? So one of the things that when I rewatched. Ferris Bueller that like caught me in so many ways. Um, and you know, Missy taught me if like you need to, but um was the fact that I forgot sort of the, the 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 different sort of odd stars that were part of it. And one of them was the fact that Christy Swanson, who was the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer I was
4: gonna bring her up actually, yes,
2: was like in the class with Ben Stein, who was the monotone like, you know... Um, That's lure. the other
0: like, great performance in that.
2: Yes. Experience. I mean, all of them, like, I mean, Pritzy Swanson, I mean, I'm I'm going to step out on a limb here, and I feel like I'm not going to necessarily fall off, or people are going to disagree with me, but I feel like she's never been a great actress, or a recognizable mm-hmm. one. Ben Stein is very specific, and he has a place in it. Um, But both of them and I'll, I'll say this, and we'll see whether or not we continue on with it, but turn out to be, like, really weird, like, you know, right-wing.
4: Yeah, I was going to mention cool. that, too. Yeah, like, they yeah. really, like, Ben Stein, like, went on, like, a big creationist trip. He made yes. some movie called Expelled about creationism yes. and teaching creationism in schools. Yeah. Christy Swanson, ben Scott Baio, and a Dean Cain all, like, went on, like, a big thing yeah, on I mean, Twitter you know, where, like, their whole thing was dunking on the libs on Twitter. They, like they start they start they they
2: like started a play, and I don't know if they were actually part of the production of it called Obamagate that was basically about, you know, a claim about left-wing conspiracy theories. So yeah. same yeah, it's what? It was, ben, it was like it's like what?
1: Ben Stein started as a speechwriter in the Nixon for Nixon, campaign. yeah. Yeah,
0: for Nixon. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. a nipple baby because his dad was an advisor for Nixon. So yeah, but but he, he, he was also good friends
4: with
3: Henry Kissinger. Yeah, yeah. So if you ever want to stand that close to evil, Ben Stein's about as good as you get right now.
4: Yeah. <laughs> He's, He's one so degree because, from like, Kissinger,
3: which
2: is like again so sad because like I pretty much loved him in everything that he was in, and I watched you know win Ben Stein's money religiously. I used to and, love that. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, like it's one of those show. things where it's kind of like you know like getting back to the theme of what we're talking about this is why gen x is kind of maybe a little messed up because like we had these like you know great like you know i think like you know fully fantastic like artistic moments like in film and across the board but they're also sort of like you know poking into elements that are really like dangerous and we saw them when we were eight and (laughs) that's not necessarily okay And then we grew up to find out, oh, our heroes are monsters.
3: You know, I I was just going to say that. I feel like we're one of the first generations where as we grew up, we had these idols. We had these heroes. And and then with the advent of the internet, the 24-hour news cycle, suddenly having 500 channels, we were one of the first generations to have our heroes and then watch them all turn into shit. Yeah.
2: But um, does anyone know... What parade they were celebrating the in Von Chicago? Steuben parade. The what?
0: The Von Steuben parade,
2: which is what? <laughs> okay, so also, yeah, about, yeah. what yeah. Von is that Steuben parade?
0: Was a uh, a German guy who fought with George Washington, and he's a very well respected German. So it's like a Oktoberfest a type of thing. It takes okay, so that's interesting because it plays so, into. But- so
2: it's so really quickly, Clint, like, I just to interrupt before you like go up into the next like part. He was gay, right? At least historically, like, understood to be gay, or I don't am, know. I... Okay. am
0: I? Okay, I don't know. I don't know. All right,
2: now I'm going to have to look that up. But I was like, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a very as like, there's a very German aspect to this, which is, but also a very American aspect to like what that parade was. When does that happen? because they're talking in, about 70 in, in, 70 degree weather in Chicago.
0: So here's what here's here's where there's some continuity issues. Okay. So there are always <laughs> those people that try to figure out like when did this movie take place? Like, you know, okay. So I think I actually wrote down the days, but maybe I didn't. So one of the days was, I believe June 5th, okay.
1: You could yeah, figure June it 5th. out by the Cubs game who they're playing. Yeah,
0: so like, yeah. I mean, so, like, June, June, the Cubs June are 5th. playing the the Braves and yeah. the, the Cubs playing the Braves, whatever, June 5th.
4: OK, the Bears won.
0: Um, well, that was a joke.
4: Yeah, no, I know that.
0: <laughs> so, so, um, June 5th. And because he said, like, oh, it's a month away from graduation, it's this and that. But the Von Steuben parade takes place in the beginning of September. So, and there was a game that they actually filmed at in the stadium on September 6th. That's where they did like the pickup shots in the stadium. So they're saying, well, maybe it was supposed to take place in September. Um but that doesn't make sense because Ferris talks about graduating in a month and he's already been absent nine times. I don't think he'd be absent nine times by September sixth, um, which could lead to those some of those continuity issues where we, when we talk about whether or not Ferris is actually real. Um, but popular opinion, June fifth is when it would have taken place, but the parade. Does not take place until September. So, and
4: by then, wouldn't they already be out of school if it's June fifth? Because graduation is typically in May. So that would mean that they'd be graduating in July. I don't
0: know. I, like... I graduated in June, at the end of June. Yeah, yeah me
3: yeah,
0: too.
2: That, and, yeah, I mean, I feel like it depends on exactly. Like, I mean, I like, I was, I was in private school, so we graduated at the end of May. Like, there was never anything that went into the summer, but. Uh, public schools often like graduate out to the end of June. So yeah. Yeah. that would make that would make sense.
0: That's that's what they were saying. Basically when the game was based on the weather, that would make the most sense. The only thing that's you know not matching up is when the Von Steuben parade is. Which is always in early September.
2: I love that we both like we all obsessed over like Wait, when? What's that parade, and when did it happen? <laughs> yeah, like how? Like, ugh, God, you know how how nerdy can we be on this podcast? How did, how did everybody how did know? Dance, know the dance move? This, this this is this is the challenge. Like right now, we have to okay. out nerd this moment. We
1: could we could put it really nerdy by by figuring out where the sun is and running it through AI and determining exactly what second it is.
2: <laughs> we talking about? Neil deGrasse Tyson and how he figured out where various parts of, you know, what was it? Where Barbie Land was? Oh, he did, Neil deGrasse Tyson calculated where, where Barbie Land is? He, he figured out, based off of, like, you know, the angle of the sun, where Barbie Land was.
4: I, I have to ask, where was it?
2: I don't know. It's I in, the, heart, it's in that the hearts part, of
4: all but... young women.
3: You let me down, Wick.
2: I'm sorry. It's it's somewhere <laughs> south of Florida. That's what I will say.
3: So
0: it's the it's, only thing south Cuba. of here
4: is hell. <laughs> it's in Cuba. Well, actually, no, Florida is hell. So,
0: right, the Sunshine so There's a a nerdy little continuity issue that drove me crazy. Breakfast Club. We know the Breakfast Club takes place. March 24th, 1985. That is canon. That is in the movie. It takes place in Shermer High School. Ferris Bueller's Day Off also takes place in Shermer High School.
3: I didn't know that. So
0: the earliest Ferris Bueller's Day Off could have taken place is that June 5th date that we've discussed. Okay? So, same Shermer High School suburbs of Chicago so we have to assume it's the same Shermer High, which means Ferris was classmates with the Breakfast Club crew. Okay. At least went to school at some point in time with them. But what's more interesting in that is that there's a year and two months difference. There's a change in principle. There is um, Dick Vernon is the principal in the Breakfast Club. But Ed Rooney's the principal. Fourteen months later, um, also Breakfast Club school colors that we see by posters and the Letterman's jackets, blue and gray. Mascot is the bulldogs. Ferret's Bueller's Day Off by varsity jackets and posters. School colors are yellow and green, and their mascot is the goat. So here's what I here's the question. Did Dick Vernon lose his job for flagrant abuse of power and emotional distress that he caused on the Saturday morning detention crew? Did he get fired for locking Bender in the broom closet and holding him captive or illegally accessing private student files? If so, that means that Rooney is a relatively new hire, and that might explain why he is so crazy to nail Ferris because he's new to the job, the school just had a big scandal, so big that they had to change their school colors and mascot.
4: Trying to impress the superintendent. Whoa.
0: Trying to impress the new superintendent, huh. and maybe he's not quite qualified for the job. He was a last-minute hire. I don't know, but that's something interesting. That he's he's on. sitting
4: in his office like, I love you, Super Nintendo Chalmers. No,
3: no, no notes. I like that. <laughs>
4: <laughs> uh, yeah, that 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 is a perfect theory. Uh, yeah, absolutely I, yeah. a perfect theory.
0: Yeah, I, I, that I'm also
4: freezing. means though that Pretty in Pink isn't that also a um, Shermer?
0: I don't know if that's Shermer, but I'm pretty yeah. sure Sixteen Candles is. But that's earlier, and we don't see a principal, and we don't. You know, I
4: really wonder creepy. if Rooney was the vice principal. Technically,
2: exactly. I was going to say like Dick is the vice principal.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm. So. Um,
0: but is that why he's it. so overzealous?
2: Yeah, I mean that's that that's probably part of it. He's like you know trying to like you know full on catch the bull by the horns and make sure that the kids respect him. But that's where it's like you know I I you bring up like now like sort of like a a, a very interesting aspect of how these universes collide. For me, because if he's actually the vice principal, and Rooney's the principal, and it's the same high school, then this entire universe is the same, and helps make the 80s a little bit more understandable for me, from a (laughs) fictional standpoint.
4: It's
0: just Shermer High School, that's completely dysfunctional.
4: So, like, suppose even, like, Dick got fired because of what happened, so now Rooney has no vice principal, so he's stretched super thin. And he's he's being deliberately overzealous trying to keep the ship on course and he's right. just ill-equipped because Dick was the muscle guy and Ed was the brains. And without the muscle, Ed can't do shit.
2: I think it's like I think it's really generous to say that Ed was the
4: brains. Oh well no, I didn't say he, the brains were good. I just said he was <laughs> the <different.
0: laughs> Right Because
4: he he's definitely not action man. That was definitely Dick. Right. Mm.
0: I just think there's something to that. That might be why Rooney was such a dog with a bone. I feel I, like I, there's. I, weird- I love
2: that theory. I and I feel like there's weird fan fiction here that can be written, and I feel like I'm more than willing to have like this part edited out so that the five of us can write the fan fiction where, <laughs> like, the Breakfast Club and Ferris Bueller collapse together in some I'm weird kidding. universe.
4: And make it happen. I would love to imagine Allison and Jeannie Bueller were friends, or at least oh knew each God, other. Maybe they amazing. they sat at I the same take... lunch table.
0: Dream blunt rotation. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Jeannie Bueller, Allison, and John Bender. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they sit doing the doing the puff puff bath in the hallway bathroom. Yeah, that's, before that's dream
2: blunt
0: rotation.
4: They're in the janitor's closet. I mean. And...
2: And like, you know, then we could do like, I mean, then it could be something where it's kind of like, you know, from our perspective, 40 years down the road, but like down the road where we're like, this is what their kids look like after having experienced all of this.
3: <laughs> like we are like now. I bet if Cameron made an elephant lamp, it wouldn't light up either. Right. That's yeah. that's how I feel. I yeah. can Didn't imagine. Anthony Michael and- Hall just crying about their lamps.
4: I could could imagine Cameron and Brian being buddies, and, like, Cameron was sick, but he stayed home because he was the only person nice to Brian, and Brian left the don't-come-into-class tomorrow note in his his locker. (laughs) I pulled the tail, tail and it didn't work. It didn't work. It's
0: so interesting. I mean, we should do a whole episode about the Breakfast Club, but it is so interesting how, you know, he's portrayed as a victim, Brian, and it's like, but you brought a shotgun into school, like that's totally unacceptable. No, it it
3: was it was a flare gun.
0: Oh, was it a flare? Yeah. I'm sorry, flare it was gun. a it was flare,
3: flare a, gun, and it, it went off.
2: It in went his off locker. in his
0: locker. Oh, okay. See, I'm not remembering it well. <laughs> well.
2: I mean, but I mean, also, like, I mean, you like, I mean, that doesn't negate your point because, like, the, no, you the can, point you can of still that kill often with is, a flare
4: gun.
2: Yeah, it's like the point of that is like is the threat, right. and you know that that itself obviously problematic and for you know right now like you know being part of the generation that we were um this was before a lot of like you know at least like you know sort of like you know the proliferation of a lot of like you know school attacks and
4: like so
0: right it was something that was like laughed at or like it was sympathetic in the 80s, and now it's like, no, that's yeah.
4: We were we were in a pre-Columbine world, so we weren't even thinking yeah. about that at the time. Like, it didn't even dawn on us. I mean, and yeah, they, they do paint Brian in a real sympathetic light, and he does come off the, the victim. But I think, really, the real victim in The Breakfast Club is Larry Lester. And he yeah. doesn't yeah. have a moment of screen time, but, like, you hear the Larry Lester story, oh, and, that was brutal. like, that is, like... Yeah. Like, shit like that is, that is why where... I didn't dress out in gym.
2: Yeah. And that's like that. And that, I, I mean, very much to your point right there, where it's kind of like there's, 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 there's such a weird aspect to high school in that sense, where it's kind of like you're forced to undress in front of people. You're forced to do, you know, all of these like athletic things in front of people. And if you fail, then you get like, you know, chastised for it and like having your 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 body like in essence on display in all of these different ways like is I think still currently something that is really problematic um and so like recognizing that is something that people don't I think I don't say like they don't say because we think of it as normalized and it shouldn't be. Right. So, um, like the whole like, you know, taping his cheeks together, first of all, and we'll get into this soon, is a full-on battery. Right. Second of all, is something that, you know, we recognize as a thing that happened or we heard about, or we knew about during our times as high school students.
0: And he's which getting, is,
2: you know, like baseline unacceptable.
0: And he's getting the same detention, same punishment as someone who cut class. hmm <laughs> Like, the kid who brought the gun into school, Yeah, and they're not getting as severe a punishment as Bender, who is getting locked in a broom closet.
2: Yeah. And also it's kind of like what the, like, so, I mean, we're cutting into probably what we want to discuss about in terms of like the breakfast club, but it's like the people that are in that room are someone who like, I don't know, cheated on a test and someone who committed actual like battering assault uh, someone who's technically like quote unquote a criminal um, someone who brought a gun to school and someone who just showed up because they were bored that day. And you're like, why don't you recognize the fact that there's like a distinct difference between every single one of these people?
0: They should have. And that's why Dick Vernon lost his job.
4: Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, that's Bingo.
0: Why, and that's why Ed Rooney is so concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, bringing it back to, so we're talking about the breakfast club, which definitely of all of the John Hughes movies, I think highlights the darkest neuroses of being a teenager like the ugliest corners of like the emotional like you, you sometimes do things that you don't know why you do them and you can't stand up to the pressure and sometimes there's external pressure whereas Ferris Bueller's Day Off it just comes off as like pure cartoon fantasy it's such a departure which is funny because it's it's later in in Hughes's anthology um how he you know like kind and even pretty in pink was you know had a lot of really crushing emotional things well and we'll talk about that at another time we don't have to get into that but it, it seems like it's it's like uh ferris bueller's day off it, it's funny because I, I remember like in high school someone telling me oh my favorite movie is ferris bueller's day off and i remember being like That's so weird. Like, it was never a film I really took seriously. I enjoyed it, but it was so... There's a a camp element to it.
4: Yeah, it's, like, pure Looney Tunes escapism. Like, it does have those heavier moments, but it's definitely not a movie that you watch, like, with the same degree of... Right. What's what's the word I'm looking at? The, the same degree of uh, pathos as you would a movie like The Outsiders or anything. Yeah. It's, it's not say, like, an artful movie.
2: Yeah, I mean, and to like like I feel like, well, like how you sort of framed it right there as terms of like in terms of a Looney Tunes situation, I feel like both that's like, you know, A, I think that it's generally on point, but B, I also think that it's like on point for Generation X because like we grew up with like, you know, you know, watching Daffy Duck, etc., like all of these people where it's kind of like violence was sort of like a resolution point
4: yeah.
2: in a weird way. And this was something where the there was sort of like, you know, an enjoyment where it's kind of like, OK, so we're not necessarily getting to a moral or ethical resolution. Yeah. But at the very least, you know,
4: quote unquote, no one was hurt. Yeah. It's just Ferris an escalating is- <laughs> series of more and more absurd scenarios that they find themselves in and more and more crazy close calls, like being parked right next to Ferris's dad at a red light and like, oh shit, let's not get caught. Sloan, make obscene gestures at my dad, please. Yeah.
0: Like also, him. I mean Hughes as a director constantly takes you out of the narrative. By having Ferris break the fourth wall and talk directly to the audience, so Which you're like reminded, butch-butch. I'm watching a movie. You're not just like following a story. You're, you know, it's it's there's this where he's speaking directly to you. Which With... is
2: also, I, I think that that is to David's point. Also, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Where, like that's like that's a very Looney Tunes,
4: right? Exactly. Like,
0: well, that's what Bugs Bunny used cool. That's yeah. my point. It was e- like that was
4: exactly. He's looking at the camera, yeah. taking a bite of a yeah. carrot, and go, "Hey, nice stinker."
0: Yep. Yep. Hundred percent. But and... it's weird
2: because again, like I feel like that's you know prior to this conversation, that's something that I didn't necessarily recognize. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to, like, you know, be a part of this group and, like, you know, talk about that and be like, oh, so that's potentially, like, how my, you know, frame of the world has been, you know, put together, is that, you know, I, I was introduced to it through Looney Tunes, the 80s movies, put me through it and sort of reaffirmed it in a more real-world context, and now... That I'm, like, you know, in my, like, you know, middle age, I kind of can put all of this together and say, oh, that's why I'm the
4: way that I am.
3: Yeah, yeah I think Rudy that's
4: absolutely the... why Gen X, we all have such a fucked up sense of humor is because we, we were rear on Looney oh, yeah. Tunes and then moved into into stuff like John Hughes movies <laughs> and uh, Chris Columbus movies and then
0: well, John Hughes, on and on from oh, there. Oh, John Hughes is always just provide like his movies are so enjoyable, but they provide a really bad blueprint. But it's like David, like you said, we went from Bugs Bunny, Ain't I a Stinker, and then we get Ferris Bueller, and then Ferris Bueller is a direct influence on Zach Morris, yeah, Parker Lewis. Oh, I was gonna say that. I was gonna. Like, I was Wilder. gonna ask,
2: are we are we gonna talk about Parker Lewis can't lose?
3: I mean, at some
4: point. Are we going to talk well, about the, the Ferris Bueller TV about, show? Too,
3: I, right? I was going to say that too. Yeah, Ferris, there was a Bueller Ferris Bueller, 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 Bueller show, TV show,
0: starring Jennifer Aniston, by the way, and yep. Charlie Schlatter. Um,
4: I only know out, that guy from one other thing too. He was in that movie 18 again with George again Burns, again with and that's George literally Burns the only back. other thing he oh, ever did. Christ.
0: <laughs> he, um, he, uh, that series, the Ferris Bueller series, came out at the same time as Parker Lewis Can't Lose, I think Ferris Bueller was on NBC, I think, and Parker Lewis was definitely a Fox show. Yeah, it was oh, on
4: yeah. Fox, yeah.
0: And they just strangled each other. Because it's and, the same It's the same premise. Yeah,
4: yeah. Uh, but, uh, but the thing is Parker Lewis Can't Lose did it better. Yeah, yeah. they did. That was a and, better show. And yeah. also, the first episode of the Ferris Bueller TV series, he spends the first ten minutes of the show Shitting on the movie, standing next to a standee of Matthew Broderick, saying, "Can you believe they cast this Joker as me?" And yeah. I'm like, "Okay, so you're gonna immediately shit on the movie? That is the reason that what the you're show referencing the
0: Reference material. <laughs> like, yeah. Can I, like so how leg- do you
4: start a show like
2: that? <laughs> so legit to make a confession. I have zero memory of the ferris bueller show i remember
3: Parker most Lewis people do there.
0: i remember yeah
2: and so it's it's i i mean i think that speaks to exactly what you were just saying earlier where it's like their approach was i'll just say not good right. at this point in you know a diplomatic sense because the approach that Parker Lewis took was just sort of like, oh, here's a fun, you know, sort of like, you know, character and situation and we'll move forward with it and see like if it works. And it did. And they did a good job in terms of like casting and making sure that like everyone uh, worked like in the correct context. So that was good. And it was close enough to the show. Yeah. Or to the movie where. Uh, they were able to actually, like, you know, push forward and ride the wave of it. Um, and so I'm like, you know, go with it. That's great. Um, especially because the Ferris Bueller, like, you know, concept
4: was, I don't know, just a, like a forgettable nightmare. Yeah,
3: yeah
0: it was terrible. It and was like actually-
4: Parker Lewis was like an assembly of like every cliche character from your high school. In the central cast, it's like like so you, it's, it's like it's you, yeah.
2: it's you, like you walk into like it's like you walk into the lunchroom and being like, that's that table, that's that table, that's that table, yeah, yeah, and then you're done,
3: yeah. And, and the, that guy that played Kubiak is, still know, has a like, career, yeah. He was on, um, um he
4: was on he Nurse he, Jackie, yeah, he's, he's on Nurse Jackie. He, uh, there's a. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. It's the he Kevin was Costner ER, Western.
3: Was yeah, that's what I just said. He was on ER. Yeah, yeah he, he was. was. He's still going. So yeah. I, I just looked it up. Parker Lewis Can't Lose ran for three seasons at 73 episodes. Ferris Bueller got canceled in the first season after airing 13 episodes.
4: Jesus.
0: And Parker Lewis could have gone on for longer. Parker Lewis is one, another one of those high-concept Fox shows. That they just didn't have any faith in, like yeah, uh, like and also every the like, I mean, alienation we talked about.
3: Oh god, can't wait to do alienation. Yeah,
0: yeah, and I-, I feel like I
2: mean, <laughs> in many ways, like I think that missing. I think like David that you were just saying right now, um, the high concept Fox News. Like, or the Fox, like, uh, <laughs> <mental> shows that
4: <laughs> happen. High, high concept, concept Fox News? Not Fox <laughs> yeah. News. I, I mean, I, to, I, be, exactly to be fair, back. to be I fair, Fox News plays
3: back. out like and, strange fiction.
4: I, I'm <laughs> pulling It's like back. Lovecraft running yeah. a news channel. <laughs> uh, no, um... No, which, Fox like, News
2: uses the N-word like, more. That I said it, I'll yeah. say now that I said it out loud, I would be really interested about what a high concept Fox News show would be because (laughs) I bet it would be deeply frightening. I mean Um, they they,
3: at this point they did wind up firing most of those guys. Yeah. Do
2: you want
0: to do the laws? All the laws he broke?
2: I'm gonna do laws and then we'll talk about like, you know, everything following this because I feel like the laws are helpful in terms of like, you know, absolutely like buffing up exactly like you know what we're talking about in terms of the Cameron conspiracy. And further, like, you know, contextualizing and understanding of what this is. So, as mentioned before, um, what I'm going to do is walk through the at least 25 legal violations that are a part of this movie. (laughs) Um, First, like, they're busted out into actual, um, I will say, like, you know, again... Legal offenses, and then the number of offenses moving forward, and then a description of <laughs> like what the offenses actually are. So number one is the most boring, and it's truancy, which includes Ferris at all. That includes his sister to some like you know degree. Uh, truancy isn't any intentional, unjustified, au- unauthorized, or illegal absence from compulsory education. So this excludes any sort of inclusion in homeschooling, etc., that type of thing. So it's basically like when you just are absent from public school. Um free will, which I think that we can all agree is exactly what this entire movie is based on. Uh so Ferris Bueller specifically referenced as an example of this offense on the Wikipedia page, describing what truancy actually is. This will not be the first time that the actor is included in an example of why we have the types of statutes that we actually do. So depending on the jurisdiction, this can be punished either criminally, which would include jail time or as a civil offense, which generally would be punished with fines or some form of enforced public service. So, like, basically picking up garbage up, like, off of the side of the road. Um, on the truancy count, which is number one, uh, although he breaks into the computer and reduces the amount, there are nine individual, individual offenses of this. So, that's nine crimes. So, mm-hmm. One of the questions is always going to be whether or not any of these crimes are going to be punished in a concurrent or consecutive manner. So the concurrent manner is going to be you get like one charge of five years and five charges of five years. That means that you get five years and that's done. So they essentially run at the same time um consecutively would be you get five charges of one year and five charges like one charge of five years and that would be then 10 years and so you would serve 10 years and jim i feel like you have a question on this yeah
1: now i'm wondering what how old is ferris is he 17 or 18 at this point
2: that is that is a good question and that is actually part of what we deal with in the next portion of our discussion Very, very good. And also, it's kind of like, you know, when does a jurisdiction consider someone to be um, a minor or someone who's of, like, an adult age that they can actually charge with the situation? Or whether or not the charge is something that warrants a minor being considered um, someone of an adult age for that type of consideration. Um, And so... An interesting example of this is one of the first scenes in the movie, which I would sort of lump into what could potentially be considered child pornography. Um, this is, you know, against Ferris. And I'm going to put this into quotes because I feel like it's a, like it's a discussion that's going to happen later. Ferris, if he actually exists, um, is theoretically filming himself in the shower so um although it's not really clear whether or not ferris is actually filming himself considering
0: the camera is there
2: yeah i mean and then also like yeah it's like breaking down the fourth wall who but knows but he whether... gestures
1: so. when he sprays his lower body yeah, he he gestures it. so he knows he's on camera
2: well he knows that he's being watched so the question is whether or not there's a camera involved and whether or not that, you know, basically whatever is happening that's being filmed in the camera can be distributed. So um, there's that. Um, if he is aware of that and if it is happening, minors can be held criminally responsible in many jurisdictions for distributing distributing image of themselves under child pornography laws. So, regardless of whether or not it's yourself, uh, they can still be held responsible as distributing child pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, The main consideration here, as you brought up, Jim, just right now, is that is, as Ferris is a senior about to graduate, like, you know, is he 18? Is he 17? And in the jurisdiction, does that actually qualify him as an adult? So, those are the questions that we have to ask moving forward. Um pausing for a hot second, are there any questions on either of those two?
1: No. Okay. I, I, I'm afraid to on. go. I'm afraid to go further.
2: <laughs> I'm not so i'll like jim like do you want like more space to move forward like no, again let's
1: go no let's go okay i mean
4: at least ferris did reach forward and cover your eyes while he was washing himself so there there was that
0: <laughs> well because he was really concerned okay, that okay. so
4: the third one is a little bit easier um it's. it's
2: i'm sorry what like so there wasn't is a question no
0: no i was just no. saying he was concerned that rooney would be watching <laughs>
2: So the third <laughs> issue. I hear you. The third issue is like hacking again, if Ferris exists, which we'll discuss later. Um, so the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act was enacted in response to concern that computer related crimes might go unpunished. Um, the House committee to the original computer crime bill actually characterized the nineteen eighty three techno filler war games.
1: Also, starring- Broderick. Starring oh.
2: Matthew Broderick, um, as a reason to enact this law, which basically, like you know, uh, creates legal implications for breaking into various like computers that are publicly available. So um, Matthew Broderick is a black hat hacker. Head cannon accepted, mean, or white hat, depending on exactly like how you want to describe it, but. <laughs> Yeah, so essentially, like, he spent his, like, early career in the 1980s essentially pushing various, like, laws against computer hacking, including...
0: A nice game, of chess.
2: Yeah. Let's play Global Thermonuclear War. Yes, but also including, like, this movie, because that will come up soon. Um, So it covers only computers that are used that affect interstate or foreign commerce or communication, including computer located outside the United States that is used in a manner that affects interstate or foreign commerce. But at this point, that basically includes everyone. And considering the fact that in... Ferris Bueller's Day Off. What he does is hack into a computer that connects all of the students in a municipal area.
0: That's what Means I was
2: That what ask. he's basically done is that. So yeah.
0: That's what I was going to ask. Is are there any laws protecting the students because there are confidential student files? I would assume.
2: So the laws would affect the, the files themselves, which would be like, you know, an additional means to prosecute the students. So FERPA is kind of, I think, that what you're referring to, which is the sort of like a law that protects students that are in universities, etc. from any sort of invasion of their privacy. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's pretty sacrosanct. It works nicely. But what it does is protects the students and it doesn't it ad- adds additional potential um, fines, criminal liability against the people that steal any files from uh, the students themselves. If they were to like access these computers and pull them out or like alter them. Does that answer so your question? So
0: what, he do, what he does, because at one point that kid said, Oh man, he was going to get me out of summer school. So yeah, knows? it's
2: super illegal.
0: It's. Yeah, who knows how he's altering yeah. those records? Once he's in, he's in, you know?
2: Yeah, it does. Like, at that point, it doesn't matter. Like, whatever he does at that point, or whatever like, anyone does at that point, um, like, it, it, it doesn't count. What we're talking about is the act itself. So, regardless of who the actor is, the issue is the act is distinctly considered to be illegal. And so, the only issue is figuring out whether or not it falls into the category of is this what uh, the statute intended to protect against um, and for the most part, it's written broadly enough that they can include pretty much everything that we're talking about.
0: I mean, they specifically cited him, Matthew Broderick. Yeah, we've we've already warned you, Matthew.
2: Yeah, no, no I mean, like not only specifically cited him, but used the description of what he did in war games in congressional hearings to support the enactment of the computer abuse and like fraud act mm-hmm. so it's yeah what he did in this movie is literally what they said don't do this right now um so ferris receives like donations and gifts from multiple people uh in so many ways this is akin to like the crowdfunding exam like scams that are happening these days so especially from a medical perspective where ferris claims that he might need a kidney transplant like well he literally says i might need a kidney transplant and so uh you see like one of like the later scenes in the movie uh his parents walk in and there are you know presents everywhere like uh, right, the most... whole
0: entryway is full of flowers and balloons and
2: absolutely. And yeah. one of the most probably I mean all of it is problematic, but one of the ones that's kind of specifically problematic is uh, the plench like the potential like solicitation of a prostitute for him that shows right. up at his door who is also followed by a trio of what look like clowns, which, again, I don't don't know how that's supposed to play into exactly what's going to happen next. But let's just rest on the fact that it's very clear that someone hired a prostitute for him to make him feel better because, I don't know, he had the flu. Right. So, right. primes. Right.
0: It, it Prime. very much reminded me of... I once went to this kid's 21st birthday party. And he had told all of his friends... I was like 22, 23 at the time. He had told all of his friends he wanted a stripper. I want a stripper for my 21st birthday party. And nobody took him seriously... And then the night of his party, he's like, no, I was I was really serious. I wanted a stripper. And so what the guys did was they called the cheapest stripper in the phone book. So you can imagine the quality that was coming to this party. And man.
4: Also, the phone book. Also, the phone book.
0: The cheapest stripper in the phone book. That's so important. And it was horrible. It was. Mm-hmm. She was very aggressive. He was very embarrassed. And then, but then they didn't have enough money to pay the guy. There was like she came with a guy, like an escort. So my the guy was like, "I'm gonna take her. I'm gonna take you guys to an ATM so you can get the money that you owe us." So she's sitting in this guy's bedroom, on his futon, completely naked, smoking a cigarette, saying, "You seem like nice kids. I- you guys should stay in school. Don't wind up like me." And like he's giving us like these like life lessons. <laughs> the cheapest trip. I mean, in let's, the phone like, like let's
2: be honest. That is the type of person. That you want to get life lessons from. Well, that's what where it's friend. just like, this is where I went left.
0: Well, yeah, that's what go. my friend was like. He's like, I want to go home and I want to hug my mother and I want to re-enroll back <laughs> in school on that day. Well, he like, should have he should have
1: told her, and listen, there's still time for you. You can get better. You can be the the second cheapest hooker in the phone the book.
0: Second cheapest hooker in the phone book. But also, like, where is
4: like strippers in the yellow pages anyway. I mean I
0: think adult entertainment probably.
4: Like how many Escorts. fingers have done the walking at that point? Yeah, Missy, you're playing you're you're More enough. Like, <laughs> you're like discussing this
2: as if there are still tripper like strippers in the phone book as if I know if that's how old I am phone book. So
0: That's how old I am. Now you just go on Craigslist. Yeah, at
1: least least, say back page. That's at least five
0: years. Missy, like,
2: also, Craigslist is the phone book (laughs) these days. Like, let's be real.
0: So old.
2: Like, what you need, like, I mean, basically what we're doing is looking on TikTok to figure out. I'm so
0: old that we found our strippers in the phone book.
4: Yeah, nowadays what you do is you go on TikTok and you look for an account where the girl is very attractive and very scantily clad, but she says her occupation is accountant. And that's how you know they're a spicy Mm -hmm. accountant.
2: But also like, what I'm going to throw out there is the fact that um, I'm sort of embarrassed for your friends. The fact that they picked the cheapest stripper out of the phone book and still could not afford it. I
3: I
0: have Two questions: What year was this, and how much was the stripper? I, uh, I'm gonna say. This is probably two thousand. Okay. It's before I moved to Brooklyn, so it's probably ninety nine, two thousand in there.
1: So before the the bubble burst.
4: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Where the stripper and, bubble burst?
0: Yeah. So it was like ninety nine two thousand in, in that range. I don't remember how much she was, but I do remember them having to run out to an ATM because they didn't have enough money.
2: Yeah. Um. Yeah. That's 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 poor planning.
0: Just poor planning all around. All of
2: that. Part, so that's all I'm gonna say. So whoever's editing this, congratulations, you're doing a good <laughs> job.
3: Yeah <Love laughs> you're you're in my prayers. Okay. Uh-huh.
0: So everyone who's listening if we have anyone listening who's still sticking around uh we'd love your emails we'd love your requests we'd love your ideas for storylines movies you want us to cover fan theories you want us to exhaust you can hit us at the retromania podcast at gmail.com you can also find us at the retromania podcast on instagram tiktok and facebook please follow us like subscribe do all the things you got to do so we can keep talking about nerdy stuff and hopefully entertaining <laughs> you.
4: Yeah. All right.
0: So our next episode is going to be drum roll, please, the never-ending Story. So if you have something, oh, oh, we're
4: gonna have to talk in a certain our way topic. about the
0: never-ending Story. You have some kind of anecdote you want to share, or you know, some trauma that you need to share. This is a safe space. Reach out to us. We are here for you. We care. And we want to help you through it.
3: Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> if you need to reach out to us, just go up to the top window of the attic of your school and scream moon child at the top of your lungs.
0: Oh, <laughs> <"Moonchild."> <laughs> and we'll come rushing to your aid like Falcor. All right. I think that does it, guys. I'm Missy Allison. You guys want me to send you out or you want to send yourselves out?
3: I'll send myself out. I'm Guy Gardino,
1: Jim Loki. I'll
2: do the same. I'm Wick Shreve, and I'm going to go to
4: sleep. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> and I'm David good.
4: Stevens, and I'm going to get off here before my wife yells at me about being loud again.
0: All
3: right. <laughs>
0: Thank hey, you.
4: Good night,
1: sure. everybody. Bye bye. The RetroMania podcast is Missy Allison, Wick Shreve, David Stevens, Guy Gardino, and Jim Loki. Music by Fa La La. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be considered legal advice. <sighs>